Mark Bullock, BMA Biotech. Outstanding. Thank you for joining the program. This is one of my favorite times of the year because it's our 5,000-foot view of story of the year, kind of as a lot of companies are finishing up or maybe starting their year-end meetings. At least, you know, the holiday parties are starting, the conferences, the year-end type things. And this is the conversations people are having. You know, what, what was the big story of the year? What are people looking for into next year? And Mark Bullock with BMA Biotech, one of our regulars here on the program, one of our energy experts. In fact, he's an international energy expert, as you're going to notice from his accent here in just a minute. Uh, we're going to talk about story of the year. Here's a few of the stories of the years that we've been talking about on this program. And Mr. Mark Bullock might have his own story, but uh, I'm going to throw a few his way. Rig counts being down 20 to 25%. Uh, the renewable energy uh, rush, if you will, and the renewable energy ripple and rush, that's how we'll call it. Uh, natural gas, clean, abundant, yet people had to pay to get it taken out of the uh, Permian, as well as the pipelines that are going into natural gas. Uh, you've got coal, coal being shut down, but yet it's needed everywhere. And in Germany, it was being turned on because of the renewables weren't, weren't able to keep up with the pace. Of course, we got California's wildfires, which a lot of different finger pointing there. But the reality is, is millions of people didn't have power. And a lot of it, most people will agree, had to do with government regulations. So uh, remote drilling, artificial intelligence on the well, all kinds of different things. Mark Bullock, how are you today? Not too bad, Jason. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Sorry for the long introduction there, but I wanted to throw a few of the stories of the year your way just to kind of talk a little bit about those as well as what you think the story of the year might be. And, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to this. This is just a way for people to have a conversation about what's going on in the industry. And, you know, what do you make about some of those, whether it be the, you know, preferred or the rig counts or the renewables or, or the California wildfires? I'll just kind of give you an open form there based on what I said, just a, a few of the top stories in your mind that you see uh, as we wind down 2019? Uh, I think the first, you know, the first one that you hit on was the, the, the reduction in the rig count is going to be a big one for next year because obviously what we're seeing now is going to fall into 2020 as well, at least Q1. Um, so that's what I would say would be one of the stories of the year. And, and, wh and why is that? Is it because of the ripple that goes through the supply chain or because of, uh, I guess, you know, I, I don't want to put answers or, or, or thoughts in your head. That was just the first thing that went to my head was the, we call it the ripple, but your yeah. thoughts. No, it, it, it's, you know, the rig count is, in my mind, key to the oil and gas industry because the more rigs that are operating means the more oil and gas is being produced. Um, so again, guys like myself, uh, you know, my background is obviously oil and gas chemicals. You know, we have to keep an eye on the rig count because then that tell you know, that gives our forecast for the next 12 months. If there's a high rig count, everyone's happy. Um, but if the rig counts are suddenly dropping in the rates they are right now, it's obviously quite worrying for everyone. So that's why I think the rig count one is going to be a big one, especially into the at least Q1, possibly Q2 next year is going to be one to watch. How about in some of the technology side of things? Of course, you you come from the chemical side, so you've seen the innovation. In fact, I, I argued that 2018 was the year of the you know chemicals in terms of bringing them in there, the innovation of chemicals, if you will. And I think we saw a big explosion 
of the uh, oil field service companies and that during that 2017-18 push. Uh, but it was all driven by innovation. This is a different kind yeah. of innovation with the remote drilling, some of the drones being brought in for surveillance and monitoring. Um, your, your thoughts on just that a little bit. I know that's not necessarily your realm, but in your day-to-day operations, are you hearing more about that? Are you, you know, thoughts on just that story as we wind 2019 down? Again, I mean, uh, you know, the artificial intelligence, as it's called, you know, being brought into the industry is a big one because if you look at a lot of other industries, the artificial intelligence is already there. It's It's been well established for at least 10 to 15 years. Um, where the oil and gas industry are only starting, in my mind, to adopt more and more of the, you know, uh, things like drones. You know, drones, are, you know, start of this year, you really didn't hear much about drones being used in the oil and gas industry. Where now, if you log on LinkedIn or you log on any industry platform, you know, drones are being pushed by virtually everyone. You know, people are being recommended for their drone um, services, for s- surveys or pipeline inspections. Um, you know, so artificial intelligence is, again, another big story because it's, it's starting to take the man out of the field, so to speak. It's now replacing him with a machine. Yeah, there's a little bit of a job shift there, um, taking them out of the fields, putting them in front of a computer, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any, ter- any terms of whether that's a positive or net gain in terms of jobs. Are we getting more software developers as we're taking men off the field? Uh, or out out of the rig, (laughs) look at me with my football talk here. Um, But, you know, like when, for example, you know, what do you got? You got two or three guys sitting around looking at a a monitor all day. So we know that like wind energy, for example, takes away a lot of people from, from, from the, the, the jobs and, and whether that's good or bad, a totally different conversation. But, uh, I wanted to ask you about the environmental side when it comes to some yep. of these oil field service chemicals, that sort of thing. That's that's been your bread and butter. That's been your expertise for 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 a little while, quite a while. Yeah, you, you know a little bit about it. Just kind of an update there. Um, a lot, we heard more about it in the last two years. We haven't heard as much this year when it comes to a, a lot of the chemicals and a lot of the, the those types of things. We just had a spill the other day in North Dakota, a big one, nine thousand yeah. barrels. I, I, I saw that. Yeah, that was the Keystone Pipeline, if I remember rightly. Right. So, you know, a, a company like yours would be called to, called to action and that sort of thing. Um, how, how are we doing this year in terms of the innovation when it comes to some of these oil field service and chemical cleanup and that sort of thing? Again, it's one of those where companies like mine who are, who are trying to forge a reputation as being the best um, sometimes put to one side because of cost or you know, supply demand or whatever, um, for companies who claim to have products like ours at a cheaper price, well, actually, they're nothing like ours. It's just snake oil. So, you know, the innovation in the chemical side is there. Um, a lot of companies are now, you know, they're still focusing on innovative uh, innovative um, chemicals for the industry. But the market's so saturated at the minute with um, a lot of snake oil, and it, that genuinely is the case, or products which genuinely just don't work but have been in the industry for 20 years so everyone knows the names they still use them so that's you know another issue that everyone's facing in the chemical side i'll tell you an issue i've seen on the chemical side and i don't know if this is true or false or just me reading the tea leaves wrong but there has been a push to preventative measures in the oil and gas community now i don't know if it's 
positive, negative. That's not what I'm getting at here. But some of the you know downhole video and some of the drones and the AI. That's more of a you know smart pigs. We're looking more at a preventative approach on things. Okay, yeah. and that's that shifted some of the money to the front end. So yeah. when there's a spill or a cleanup that's needed, that's that's more on the back end and that's more of a reactive type dollar now. Yeah. And, and if there's the reactive dollars are now being shifted, the proactive dollars, I could see where the, you know, the the generic chuck and jiver snake so salesman, snake oil salesman can catch their attention a little bit easier at that time. Yeah. Is that is, is is that is it? Did I sum it up okay for you there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that is literally, you know, you're hitting the nail right on the head, so to speak. Um, you know, we're seeing that preventative measures are given the forefront right now, and, and rightly so. I mean, you know, the, some of the some of the technologies that are out there or soon to be released are very good technologies. Um, but then, you know, as you pointed out, you know, the te the the the, the expense, you know, the expenditures are, get, are moving from my side of the industry to the preventative measures so when my side's needed um because again it's it's like this you will never take a human out of the process there will always have to be a human being in there somewhere um you know the mark when eyeball is is good and it's going to be needed um and it will be needed for the you know the remainder of time um and that's an argument across all industries when it comes to ai um you know 30 years ago, the defense industry started looking at um, robots, for want of a better word, you know, an old you know, the whole Terminator feel of fighting wars. Um, but then they suddenly stopped the expenditures because it just wasn't working. So they then developed drones, which were far more effective than what they were 10 years ago. Um, and, then, you know, then they brought out uh, combat suits, which are, like hydraulically operated AI uniforms, which soldiers wear uh, and stuff like that. It's, you know, AI is always going to be, is, is there, but you're always going to need a human in that process somewhere. And that's what we're seeing in the, in the oil and gas industry right now is, you know, the technology is slowly making its way in and it, it's good technology. A lot of it is needed. Um, but then it opens up the back door on the remediation side for people who either have no clue what they're doing or are selling nothing but snake oil because they're the cheapest. And companies like mine, unfortunately, are losing business because that's what we're seeing. It's a tough place to be in for the for the operators because they've got a budget and, uh, yeah. I, and a reactive dollar that's not there is very difficult. But I, I mean, for me, I, I guess I'm gonna take this opportunity and tell them that it's gonna cost you more in the long run getting the snake oil than it is spending a few bucks extra that should be there when it just got shifted and oh, yeah. yeah i mean that that's what i'm starting to notice after this this year is that i've seen more and more companies that have gone to the snake you know the, the cheap snake oil guy if you will it's kind of fun saying that um yeah. because they've they've had to do additional cleanup so it's costed them almost double to what they would have had to spend if they just would have spent a little bit more on a quality product that's proven yeah, and it's, it's unfortunately sometimes what I'm seeing, and this is my own personal opinion, is the industry is its own worst enemy in the sense of if we look at Colorado, that's a prime example. Um, you know, the industry is being cut back there, you know, astronomically because of the, the way the, the regulations are now being wrote. 
And the only reason they're being wrote like that, written like that, is because, you know, the chuck and jivers, as you call them, or the snake oil salesmen, have been given free reign, and it's impacted on the industry in that region. It's doing it all over the world. Um, if they were just to spend an extra couple of a, a couple of dollars per gallon, you know, it just means a little slight decrease in profits. But then, on the on the knock on effect, you're not going to have the issues like you see in Colorado and everywhere else where they're trying to ban the oil and gas industry. You know, a big story coming out of the UK this week: um, fracking has now officially been banned until further notice. So the one site they had that was onshore fracking on Monday morning was literally shut down because. You know, it was a cause of potential um, minor earthquakes, and the government have stopped it. So again, that's another one the industry is going to be watching to see how that plays out. Because if you know, if if you've got a region of the world that's never had earthquakes, um, that suddenly starts getting them when fracking operations are, uh, are taking place, you know, it it starts to alter the whole dynamic, and it starts to bring a lot of um, a, a, a lot of research into question. You know, uh, uh, these environmentalists rights, so to speak. Um, I, I honestly, I do not think that the oil and gas industry has any idea the amount of momentum and power going on right now with this environmental movement. I don't think they have any idea. Oh, no. And, and, and the trouble is, and, and this is the sad fact, is renewable energies one day will be a mainstay in, in the world. Um, but they are not at the level that we need them. Um, I was reading an article a couple of months ago now where it was saying how, you know, talking about how lithium's mined. And it was an area of Chile that once was very fertile um, and, you know, had copious amounts of water, where now it's virtually barren and desolate because the lithium mining industry has literally ravaged the land. How is that eco-friendly and sustainable? It's not. It, it, it just, you know, that's far worse than the oil and gas industry's ever done. So it's one of those ones where renewable energy is seen as the the next big thing, but no one's looking at the actual impact of what it takes to do that. You know, where the oil and gas industry have have altered their ways tremendously in the last forty years. But but here here's what I'm getting at is the oil and gas industry, as long as I've been a part of it now, very science based, very fact based, very very common sense based okay not not to mention it's it's in my opinion the last bastion of capitalism so there's still some dreamers and opportunity and and that sort of thing uh you go outside of the oil and gas industry it's not like that it's not like that at all and that's what i mean they i wrote down industry is its own worst enemy because that's a great way to look at it what's going on right now and that and that's what i mean by they don't i don't think they understand what's going on the amount of momentum that this movement has is is to where it 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 could be gone in 10 years i mean the new green deal is is winning that's the thing it's winning and and i don't think the industry understands that um and it's hard to say that because the industry sometimes bites back and yeah. they, they don't like me saying this right now, but I like the oil and gas industry. I like capitalism, responsible capitalism. I like the fact that they can, you know, my lights can come on. I like all those different things. And that is why I am saying this stuff. Because when, yeah. you, when you have California and New York, these are states that have been banning things. You know, Colorado, that's another state that is trying to figure out a new way of banning things. Um, there, 
there, there's a real problem here because when the herd mentality is happening to where they don't think it's, you know, they're not reaching out and engaging with the people at all. I mean, well, let me, let me give you an example here. I was at the Wildcatters golf tournament in Casper, Wyoming this summer, okay? Yeah. Wyoming is a very red state. Wyoming is a very energy state. You have coal, you have gas, you have oil, you have all kinds of different things, okay? The Tea Party is considered liberal in Wyoming, for crying out loud, okay? So you've got, you've got all these different things. Here I am at the uh, Wildcatters tournament. They rent the country club in Casper out. So there's nobody else there except oil and gas professionals on these two, three days that they're doing the tournament, right? Yeah. I'm in the lounge um, at, at the at the country club lounge, kind of, you know, while people are out golfing, I'm in between. I'm not doing the golfing. I'm just doing some interviews and some glad handing, shaking hands, that sort of thing. A little bit of a break. So I was the only one in the lounge, only one in the, in the uh, bar, if you will. Three servers, yeah. three servers in their 20s working behind the counter, just bashing oil and gas. And they weren't doing it to be mean. They, they were doing it just part of regular conversation, just regular conversation. And I'm thinking to myself going, lady, I just watched you get tipped over $300 in the last two, two hours by yeah. oil and gas professionals. And the minute they walk out of the door, it's cool to dog fossil fuels. So that's what we're doing right now. Is we're, that's what I mean. I don't think they get that, that that's what's going on behind their back on a regular basis. Do you know what I mean by that? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean here. I, I'm trying to say, guys, wake up. This is what's going on. It's a, it's a whole new mentality thing. That's all it is. Um, you know, I was reading an article the other day about that uh, 16-year-old girl who made a, a passionate speech at, I think it was one of the um, – fossil uh, anti-fossil fuels um rallies i can't remember exactly what she'd done and she'd flown to a, a summit in chile which was cancelled due to the economic uh, the uh, upheavals there and the unsafe environment and then she's putting out a plea to fly to where the un had rescheduled this this event in madrid and it's like well hang on if you're standing there and you're bashing fossil fuels in one breath but in the next breath you're asking for someone to buy you a plane ticket to fly you another 8,000 miles the other direction you've just come from. You know, renewable energy couldn't get you in the, there in the time span. You know, fossil fuels are there because renewable energy has already been and gone. I mean, you look at the, you know, sailing ships that crossed the Atlantic for, you know, nigh on 300 years. They were, they, they were, they were powered by wind. That is renewable energy. It, it gave way to coal. You know, coal, it, it, it was obsolete because coal... Uh, fired steam um, boilers could could propel a ship a lot faster. So you know, well, not only faster, but but more reliable. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's already been tried. Well, and that's really what it boils down to is the argument isn't any different. I mean, listen, solar and wind and water have been around since you know the uh, Garden of Eden, if you will, since yeah. the you know since the the evolution of Homo sapiens. Man has figured out a way to use wind, solar, and water as energy. But what they haven't figured out is how to make that reliable. They've never figured that out. Fossil fuels, they've figured out. And coal and, and everything. The, uh, Greta Thunberg or Thunberg or Thornberg. Or, um, the, the, the real story in that, in my opinion, is how there's, there's no sound science for any of this, okay? Consensus science is not science. Albert Einstein said, 
Because you remember, Albert Einstein was a whack job, and everybody thought he was nuts. And not hardly, there was a big group of people that disagreed with his theory on relativity. And Albert Einstein just said, well, it only takes one person to disprove me. And yeah. we've gone a different direction. Science has gone a different direction. And I feel bad for scientists because if you are correct as a scientist, that doesn't mean you're correct anymore. You have to have a consensus of scientists to say you're correct. They don't have to, yeah. they don't have to prove you wrong. They just have to say whether their policy agrees with you or not. So we've shifted yeah. into consensus science as an acceptable form of science, which is really too bad. Science has suffered from that. But what the real story to me is that at the UN, instead of having a, a um, scientist headline your climate change uh, uh, policy, you brought in a 16-year-old girl with a disability. So that means that the eco-elites are basically using a 16-year-old child whose hypothalamus is not even developed yet into presenting their special interests. And to throw it on top of it, she's even got uh, Asperger's on top of it. So if you're going to try to make an argument against renewables, now... To some people, you got to get past this, the, the child with Asperger's in order before you even get to the conversation of renewables. That's all yes. done by strategy. And to me, I cannot believe that that is celebrated by the UN. It should be, to me, it's criminal, but to them, it's let's put her up on main stage. Over the scientist. I mean, she's. I don't know what kind of what what kind of science a sixteen-year-old can bring to a UN conference, but no, nobody seemed to ask that question. No, it's it, it's one of those things where if you ask our great grandparents about the world today and how they view it, it will be a lot different to how we view it because we're evolving as a species. That's all it is. We're just evolving. And you know, sixteen-year-old kids twenty years ago were more concerned with you know, depending on what part of the world you lived in, you know, we're either, you know, going into junior high in the US or, you know, leaving school in the UK, where now they seem that they want a platform, you know, that they want a a sounding box in which to speak from. Whether they know about the what they're talking about or not, it doesn't matter to them. They just want a voice. And people are now starting to give them a voice. I, I just cannot them. believe that the media, the elected officials, the appointed leaders are enabling this anxiety. I cannot believe that. As, as a parent, as a taxpayer, as a human being, it's cruel. It is absolutely yeah. cruel. Here's one for you, Jason. This will give you a right shuffle. Um, a British TV show called uh, Good Morning Britain um, had a 22-year-old millennial on the other day who stated that um, the way British schools teach history should be changed because teaching a child about World War Two is likely to give them PTSD. That oh is a genuine thing that's going on right now. And it's like this. As a former soldier who's done my job, I embrace the fact that children should be taught about World War One, World War Two, the American Revolution, um, in an aim of not to glorify war, but to teach people that this is what will happen if things don't go right. You know, and unfortunately, that's the way the world's going there. You know, monuments over here are being pulled down because they're tied to the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those monuments weren't raised to glorify slavery. They were genuinely raised to honor 
the memory of the men that fought for something they believed in or, you know, helped shape the nation. You know, I, I don't agree with slavery. I'm, I, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is monuments are being pulled down because people don't agree with them anymore. You know, it, it's, it's not right. It's just, unfortunately, the way we're going. Well, and, and I'll tell you what, cultures change, society shifts, that sort of thing. The part yeah. that I, I've got with this, and this is where I, I think this is one of the big stories of the year, is, is the, um, the eco-crash course, the, the, green, the green crash course here. Because if you go back 150 years, humans have been decarbonizing. You know, we're burning yeah. wood, burning coal, burning fossil fuels, and then, you know, natural gas, which only has one carbon hydro. Uh, I'm sorry, one one uh, carbon molecule. So, I mean, we, we have been naturally decarbonizing long before the Sierra Club, long before Al Gore, long before Greta Thunberg. We've been doing yeah. it just fine as a, and you know what? And I think we're going to continue to. And I think the energy companies knew this and they're okay with that. It's just this crash course that says that if, I still can't believe there's a media outlet alive that gives, um, that I, I forget her name, AOC. I'm not, you know, I don't do much with the politics anymore. So, and I do that on purpose so I can have a sane mind. Um, yeah. Cortez, I can't believe there's anybody that gives her a platform because she's going around saying that the the we have ten years left on the planet. That that yeah. is, in my lifetime, those people were crazy and they were maybe got a little bit of airtime on the overnight coast to coast George Norrie show where we'll put you between the guy that was abducted by the alien and the guy that thinks their lizard people are walking around. We'll put you right in the middle of them too. That brings you back to the whole Y2K bug. Do you remember that? That's exactly right. It's a Y2K bug all over again. Yeah. And it's just a different form. I mean, you know, I mean, we all, you know, those are old enough remember the Y2K. Oh, you can go back to the book of Genesis and uh, I mean, sorry, the book of Revelations and saying we've been doing it for a long time, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where, you know, the big story is now that, you know, the world is changing and it's just on a tangent. It's it's just on a knife edge. And it's a question of which way is it going to fall? That is really one of the biggest stories is, you know, (laughs) renewable energy is going to be there in the forefront in the next five to 10 years because that is the way the world's going. But it's going to come to a point where it's at what cost? You know, the oil and gas industry is taking a hit blow by blow every day, you know? and it's do, just- do you think that five, 10 years ago, if the people of California, if the leaders would have came out and said, okay, we're going to mandate everybody have this amount of electric cars, we're going to mandate that everybody has this amount of solar panels, we're going to mandate that we use this amount of renewables, and here's the deal, in 10 years, millions of you will be without power on any given day. And your bills are going to go up three to four times what they are now. Do you think they would have voted for it back then? No. But, no. That, but, but that's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. And, 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 and that's what's happening over the world right now. I mean, it, exa- that's what happened in Germany, and that's what's happening yeah. in a lot of different places. And the thing is that all of those leaders have either left because they knew it was coming or the ones that are there are not being held accountable. In fact, yeah. in fact, they're given more money, which is just regardless. Anyway, we better wrap up here. So, story of the year. You're, you're, you're putting your vote down for rig counts. Is that right? Yeah, I'm putting my vote down for rig counts. All right. It's gonna be, Go ahead. It's going to be one of those that's going to that's going to follow on to you know at least Q1 2020. So it's going to be one of those ones that we're going to have to watch and hope it improves. 